Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 51 of the No Look Pass podcast presented by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, who can't believe that Cleveland is the sports place to be in 2016. What is going on in this world? And my co-host with me, Andy Flint. Flint, what was good? Uh, it's been a crazy season already, so much so that I'm actually starting to convince myself in the last 24 hours that Rudy Gay is somehow this ideal small forward in today's league, and I just don't get it. <laughs> You can't you can't go there. Nobody goes full Rudy Gay. Don't don't ever go full Rudy Gay. Uh, so we're we're definitely going to get into the show. Uh, if you guys don't know how we roll during the season, because obviously the season has just started, um, and if you're new with us, what we do is every single week we go around the NBA. We just take a journey around the whole NBA throughout the season. So each week we make a pit stop. We watch a team, and we call this segment while you were watching TNT because. We like to give love to every team in the league, not just the six teams that go on on TNT. Though we do always like to give a little caveat that we love the TNT crew. Uh, what do you think about, real quick, what do you think about KG joining the, the inside the NBA crew? you think that's good or bad? I don't know, man. <laughs> this yeah, is like the wildest thing ever. See, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Shaq, and I'm still getting used to him, but yeah, I, I don't know about KG on TV. I think he'd be better as a coach. Anyways, so while you were watching TNT, our Pit stop this week was with the Portland Trailblazers, one of the teams that I, I, I don't know about you, Andy, but last season I was really low on the Trailblazers preseason. I, I picked them as probably one of the worst teams in the league, and I think I wasn't alone, and they came out to surprise everybody last season. And it kind of looks like they're, they're kind of picking up where they left off last season. I don't know how you felt when you watched them, but it, it seems like a pretty good team, definitely a potential playoff team. Yeah, I think they are about who I thought they were. Um, you know, it's it's in reference to last it, season. It, it, yeah, they were one of those teams last season where you were like, oh, this isn't going to work. And Damian Lillard's whole entire team left him, and we thought there might be problems with Lillard. But then they tried this gimmicky stuff and this really extreme small ball thing that they do, that they're still doing, and it, it seems to work. I mean, this is a, a age in the league where weird works, and it's working in Portland, which is weird because Portland's a weird place anyways, right? Isn't that like their motto, keep Portland weird? <laughs> and they they definitely they definitely take it to the extreme. So, how many Portland Trailblazers games did did you end up watching? I caught two. I caught the Jazz one and the Nuggets one. I missed the one in between, the one they lost, the Clippers game. The good one. Okay, so they played. The, that, that's a good uh, follow up because they did play the Jazz opening night and then the Clippers and then the Nuggets last night in an overtime thriller, which is where I want to start because my man Dame Lillard was shooting the lights out. Like, literally, he shot the lights off of the Denver arena. The lights just went out. Damian Lillard was way too hot, and, like, they just they just said, the only way we're going to stop Damian Lillard's streak right now is if we just turn all the lights off and act like we need a 10-minute delay. Because I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I don't know about you, but that's my conspiracy theory. I mean, and you just said it right there, Denver's arena, which does have a new name, and it is the Damian Lillard arena. He comes to entertain. <laughs> Leave your money in the hat and, and enjoy the show. So the first thing I noticed about the the Portland Trailblazers here was uh, apparently 150 million all it buys you in the off season is bench players because for some reason Mo Harkless is is the starter and not Evan Turner who they paid 75 million or Alan Crabb who they paid another 70 million and I don't really know how this happened how Mo, Mo Harkless has beat out them for the fifth starting spot so I, I don't know about this new cap situation in the NBA but apparently uh, 150 million dollars does not buy you an actual starting NBA small forward anymore. Well, Mo works out because he kind of, in 
in Portland's vision, he plays the four a bit too, if you notice that. And we talked a little bit about weird lineups. But I think the biggest thing holding Turner out of the lineup, obviously you talk about the money, but it's Turner needs too many of the same things that Lillard and McCollum need, which is kind of why the signing was weird anyways. I feel like the best basketball you get from Evan Turner is when he's allowed to facilitate. He has the ball in his hands. He creates things of that nature. So I don't know that you can have him. I don't know if he can be the kind of guy to kind of play off the ball and run around screens and get open shots. And that's really what you need with Lillard and McCollum because they're going to do so much ball dominating as it is. But I, I did think the ball moved well with this team. It, you know, they had their moments where like Lillard or McCollum would say, all right, Hey, I'm scoring. We're going to, you know, take this into my own hands. But that ball, seemed like it was just constantly going, and that was probably the best thing for me with watching the Trailblazers. I really agreed. The only time I felt like it didn't move that much was when Evan Turner was in the game, to be honest. I mean, that was the one thing that I really noticed was, does Evan Turner fit with this team? And you just brought it up that it didn't seem like he fit at the time of the signing. I mean, and obviously it's it's three games, so they're still working out kinks. It's not like he's just going to come in and, and be a part of the team uh, right away, but it, it does kind of seem like there's going to be more bumps in the road. Like it's going to get worse before it gets better. It seems like for Evan Turner, uh, especially in that lineup. Cause like you said, he really does need the ball and he kind of works mid range a lot. And, and that doesn't really work with, with where these guys, I mean, Damian Lillard's a perimeter player, CJ McCollum's a perimeter player. And then they penetrate and make things work. When, when Evan Turner's on the floor, it really shrinks the floor for them. And they don't really have a lot of guys that can, a lot of big guys, I should say, that, that can really stretch the floor like that. I like Noah Vonley. Uh, he was one of the better surprises, and I do want to know if we have seen Noah Vonley and old-school Darius Miles, Portland Trailblazers, in the in the same room at the same time because uh, I think Darius Miles just went into a time machine, came back as Noah Vonley, and now he's, he's just playing small ball. Well, the biggest difference to me with Turner is Turner, as you said, works to mid-range, and he does a lot off the dribble. He's not necessarily a spot-up shooter, and I think that that's really what you were getting at with what they need. But, alas, Alan Crabb is sort of a – what, is he a spot-up shooter now? Because that's a big difference I've seen between him and Turner. I mean, he's gotten a few more minutes than Turner a game, but he's knocking down the three ball. I mean, we're talking – Absolutely. Uh, four, 45%, almost taking four a game, making just about two – Meanwhile, Turner not really doing that so much. But I do think Turner has a home there. He can play off the bench. They do need a guy to relieve in times to handle the ball. But he's got to buy into everything that's going on around there. Yeah, each three Allen Crabb hits just makes me more and more angry because the Nets were supposed to have him. And right now we have Joe Harris shooting threes, who actually is an above-average three-point shooter. And I, I like, I'm a big Joe Harris fan. For some reason, that's where the Nets season is three games in. I'm talking about Joe Harris. Uh, but it should be Allen Crabb. Alan Crabb should be taking all of those shots, and he would be great in Brooklyn. We we would start to Alan Crabb. We would give you $70 million and to play 35 minutes a game. I don't know what you're doing in Portland. You're just being like the eighth man. Uh, so the last thing I really have before we get into the elephant in the room question is my man Mason Plumley has become like an enforcer. But when my man Mason Plumley got drafted to the Brooklyn Nets, he was like this little shy, quiet, white boy with like, you know, his face turns red when he sweats. You know what I mean? Like nobody's intimidated by that. And then like he got under Kate, you know, KG took him under the wing, you know, taught him a little bit about the, the rough and tough world because he's KG. And then that's what he did. Probably yelled at him, punched him a few times in practice or something, gave him an elbow. And now all of a sudden Mason Plumlee is just getting into fights with DeAndre Jordan, gra- grab him by the shorts. He doesn't really care about anything. How about Mason Plumlee, the enforcer? what do you think of that? Well, he needs to enforce his way onto the glass because he has about seven teammates out-rebounding him now, and he's effectively the biggest man on the court playing a, a quality amount of minutes. So I wish he'd do that. But I did see some of the feistiness. 
again, I didn't watch the Clippers game, but I did catch some of what you're talking about. No, he is. I mean, he's kind of a, an emotional roller coaster at times. Obviously, you watched him with the Nets, and I say that in the sense of he's very uh, energetic. He's a spunky guy. His heart's on his sleeve. He's always showing the emotion when he dunks, and he's got that energetic game. But, yeah, Enforcer, I didn't see that coming. Duke? No. Yeah, a, a Duke, a Duke white boy enforcer. I, I don't know where we're. Uh, I don't know if there's precedence for that in the NBA ever. Uh, so, <laughs> did you have any other thoughts about the uh, Trailblazers before we get into the elephant in the room question? Because we all know who it's about. I mean, it's it, it's basically the the Portland Dame dollars. I mean, that's what I titled this episode of the NLP podcast. It's 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 Dame and the crew. Uh, I, that's how I see this Portland Trailblazers team. Yeah, I mean, you might as well get right into that part because anything I had left to say about him was, was going to be about that man anyways. Okay, so my, my, my elephant in the room question is very simple, and for those that don't know, the elephant in the room question is every team just sort of has this, this lingering question around them that we like to answer, and you can kind of see it even from watching them for a week. And this question is pretty simple. Damian Lillard, MVP? Is, is, is that is that a thing that's going to happen? Steve Kerr threw his name out, as as we all know the the, the news story. But uh, he's putting up the numbers. And uh, what do you think, Andy? Have we got a Damian Lillard MVP campaign coming on. I mean, if you're asking me, will it happen? I don't think so. I mean, I think that there's going to be some guys that that'll finish better than him in the standings, and you know, have the stats to to warrant the the prize. But I do think it's it's realistic that Damian Lillard could win. My money's not on him. Um, and that's nothing against Lillard. I just think there's some other guys in better situations who are just as fantastic, if not better. But, yeah, it's it's a possibility. I mean, what's he getting, about 35 a game right now after three? Um, you know, he's he's got that it factor. We've talked about this before. He shows up in the big moments. He hits the three. He shoots everywhere. He shoots off the dribble. He's almost, to me, got a little bit of Kyrie and maybe a little bit of Steph. He has his own unique game, but there's a little – like, he has the – that quick little pull-up thing that he does that reminds me a lot of Curry in the mid-range, but he's not afraid to take a three from four feet behind the, the arc, just like Curry. So I really do like, like Dame, and I think that he's definitely got a bright future. But I don't know if the MVP is realistic this year, just because I don't think finished that well. So here's the, here's the MVP argument for Damian Lillard. This is what, you know, on the uh, – I on basketball podcast, which is a CBS podcast with Matt Moore and Zach Harper, you know, one of, one of the best uh, basketball podcasts that, that I listen to. And I think one of the best, you know, really going, uh, they play the what if game sometimes with, with certain teams or certain scenarios. And if you play the what if game with the Damian Lillard MVP campaign, you kind of get into some things that are plausible. Like what if Steph Curry and Kevin Durant split MVP votes? That's probably going to happen. What if LeBron takes a three-week vacation because he already won a championship and he doesn't really feel like playing 82 games? That could happen, right? Uh, what if uh, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard both are on teams where you really don't know who's the best player on the team? They're both kind of equally contributing, so maybe they don't really get all of the MVP votes because they might split them between teammates. And then you just have Damian Lillard, who has a you know, 30 points, well, maybe not 30 points a game. That's probably extreme, but maybe is top three in the league in scoring, uh, has a top four seed with the Portland Trailblazers. And the other thing Lillard always has going for him is not only is he a flashy player in which he's going to have a lot of highlights, but he's also a clutch player. He already hit a game winner last night in Denver in with less than a second left. He's going to have maybe four or five of those in the season. So he sort of has that mem- those memorable moments like, oh, yeah, I remember when Damian Lillard scored 50 you know, against the Lakers on, on in Staples Center on a Saturday night. Like, 
that could definitely happen. So if you put all of those things together, again, like you're saying, it's not really like probable, but I definitely think there's a plausible case for Damian Lillard for MVP. And let's run with this a little bit because I like this, the ball back in my court. I, I think that you do make a good point when you talk about guys, uh, LeBron taking a break, but LeBron also may be splitting some consideration with Uncle Drew. Uh, you talk about KD and Curry. Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are another one I can think of that's close out there out in the West that, you know, both would, with a big year, probably split a lot of the talk, even DeAndre Jordan getting a little bit of that hype. I think the problem for Damian Lillard here, and again, I think that it's plausible he could be in the discussion, but I think that his team is too similar to a few other guys who are also going to warrant a lot of attention. Russell Westbrook, uh, James Harden, maybe, 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 just maybe, possibly Anthony Davis. These are guys that I think that, you know, I think the Pelicans are a little bit of a stretch, but the Thunder um, and the Rockets, we just don't know. And I think that they're safely nestled in there somewhere with the Trailblazers. So if it comes down to guys, you know, that have a similar record, these three say Westbrook, Harden, and Dame, who's even if Willard has eye-popping stats, the other two most likely do too. So I just don't know which one of them wins with equal wins, uh, equal-ish stats. I, I think it's just one of those right. clusters where there's a really a lot of good players uh, in the league today who could possibly take an MVP at any point. Yeah, and I, I think in your hypothetical scenario, um, you know, again, to play the what-if game, I don't think it's that unplausible that Portland would have the best record out of those three teams, Portland, uh, Thunder and Rockets. I mean, if, in our sure. preseason, I think we, we both had them four through six in some order. Um, so I think you had the Thunder fourth. I had the Rockets fourth, I believe. And then we both had the Trailblazers somewhere in there. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're, they're, they're all going to be, those are three definitely contenders and they all gonna, they're all going to have around the same amount of wins. And I think, you know, it might come down to, you know, at least in some, some voters eyes, basically which team is the best team. And, and thus, you know, that's basically that player deserves to be the most valuable player, whether that's fair or not. Is yeah. And, whole discussion. and before we walk away to clarify to everybody listening, I think really the, the point we're saying here is Westbrook and Harden, two of the guys I brought up and then you talked about afterwards are both guys we expect to be in the thick of the MVP race. And the points we've laid out with Portland, you know, Portland could easily be a better team than both of them. They could easily be a lesser team than both of them too. But I think, you know, the point you brought up as a whole is Lillard maybe now should be getting some of that talk that Westbrook and Harden have already been getting, and he hasn't because it's, it's very possible that Lillard could be showing similar stats and even have a better record than both of those two guys. I think that's what, what you were getting at. Yeah, sure. And, I mean, I think, you know, maybe a month from now you might have some Damian Lillard MVP buzz. Similar to Paul George last year got some early MVP buzz. Jimmy Butler got some early MVP buzz. Obviously those guys didn't come anywhere close to winning. I don't, I don't think either one of them finished in the top five. But you do often see guys that get off to a hot start that are on the level of Damian Lillard in the league, you know, a star. Some might say a superstar. Um, you know, if he, has, if he continues to perform like this, sure, you, you are going to get some is Damian Lillard the MVP of the league. Uh, but we are going to move on from the Portland Trailblazers and talk about the team that everybody came into the season talking about. And opening night, let's just face it, the Golden State Warriors laid and complete egg. Um, it's something that a lot of people kind of predicted, including myself in the preseason, half believing it because, you know, if they lose in the season opener, you kind of look like a genius if, if you predicted it. Uh, but, I mean, San Antonio did not only beat them, they really handled beat them handily. It, was, it wasn't even a game. So I guess my question, Andy, is 
you know, it, it took, obviously, the Warriors, what, two months to lose it last season, and then they come out and lose the opening game. Is there any any sort of panic if, if you're the Golden State Warriors or somebody that's a fan of the Golden State Warriors? No, I mean, it's it's not ideal. And I know, like, Warriors fans were probably already lining up to become Spurs fans. But, I, you know, I just think it's one of those things that's kind of funny to me. When I when I saw it happening, I just kind of laughed, and not because I'm against Golden State, but because it's just one of those things. And I knew people the next day were going to be, like, full-on panic mode. If you're Steve Kerr, you're Steph Curry, you're KD, you know that the Spurs are tough. Uh, the Spurs beat them last season. We, you know, the Spurs, what, were one game shy of being undefeated at home. Um for anybody who knows, a lot of us will tell you that the Spurs losing Tim Duncan is actually an upgrade because they gained Paul Gasol, who at this point in their careers is the better player. Um, Kawhi Leonard, Lamarcus Aldridge, an extra year. This team's no slouch. I expect them to be, you know, like a 60-some win team this year. And for Golden State to come out and lose, yes, it's a big letdown. Um, you know, you lost in front of the home crowd and all of that. But I, I really just think that, you know, when, you, when we look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to seem like such a big deal when Golden State's probably still flirting with 70 wins. But it did show some of their weaknesses at the same time, and, and that's probably not an ideal scenario for them this early in the year. Yeah, two things. For me, the, the word I really thought, I wasn't concerned. It just seemed strange. You know, it was just very strange to me that, that they would just come out and just not give any effort, really. You know, it, it, it seemed like, I don't know, it almost seemed like a preseason game for them. It seemed like they were still getting used to each other, which is understandable. They're still running sets and, and stuff like that, maybe that they haven't run before with KD and everything. And they're probably still getting used to the rotation. You know, um, you know, Kevin Durant has been coming out at like the six-minute mark in the first quarter, which is, I'm sure is strange for him because he used to play the entire first quarter um, in OKC the most of the time. So I'm sure that's still a little strange. But still, I, it, it, it's just strange. Uh, is what I want to say. I'm not concerned. I mean, like you said, I think you brought up all the valid points. Like, this team is still going to be a one seed in the West by all accounts. I mean, they're still going to be a 70-win team. They're still going to be a championship contender, and I don't think they're going to be looking back like, oh, remember that first game we lost against the Spurs? Like, nobody's really going to care about that six months from now. But the other thing, the, the, the most important thing, Andy, is your boy Westbrook. How satisfied was he watching that game opening night, watching his watching KD just go down in flames? Scale of one to ten. I, I mean, it's got it's got to be like a twenty. Oh yeah, it's it's like a twenty times twenty times twenty. I you know Russ was sitting there, dying, wearing a, a questionable ensemble, and you know he loved every minute of it. I'm sure, and you know it's it's one of those things. Again, I I don't I don't think it's a huge deal, but definitely sweet for those probably Harrison Barnes might have had himself a decent laugh over it too now that he's on Dallas and he's kind of balling though they didn't quite spurn him or anything but still Bogut Bogut's another one I think Bogut's really the thing that showed up that that wasn't there anymore was Bogut that's like their Achilles heel yeah that's the the one thing I'm not sure about the the Zaza thing I mean it, it always looked good on paper and it was like wow they stole Zaza but I'm just not quite sure how how he fits it, with the team because I don't think he really brings that same uh, defensive intensity, you know, especially rim protecting that, that Bogut did. So that's one thing I, I am kind of looking out for, but uh, real quick, we, we, you know, we knew we had to touch on the Warriors, but we want to move on uh, to two players that we have already talked about this show. Uh, you brought up Russell. We just brought up Russell Westbrook. Uh, you talked about Anthony Davis for MVP earlier. 
So my question to you is, who do you feel more bad for as a great player on a bad, uh, on, on all accounts, a bad team? Russell Westbrook or Anthony Davis? Because it's going to be tough for them. I mean, Russell Westbrook put up a 50-point triple-double, which hasn't been done. I believe uh, Kareem did it in 1975 or something. It's been a long time. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, and then Anthony Davis is just putting up these monster numbers, had 50 opening night and a loss. And Russell Westbrook is just skating by the 76ers and, and things like that. So, so what do we think? Who, who do you feel more bad for, Westbrook or Davis? I feel, I, I feel worse for Davis, for sure. Uh, I mean, 2-0, and skating by is always going to be better than 0-3. Um, to, to lose with that monster stat line he had. And honestly, the Westbrook triple-double was great, but like I think the Anthony Davis, that opening night stat line that he had for him was insanity. Like I've never seen such a thing. It was just utter dominance. And then when you keep looking down the line and you're like, yo, they lost this game? Like what? I mean, especially when a big man is doing that, you expect that game to be thoroughly dominated. At least I do. And I, I just was so let down by that. I feel so bad for Anthony Davis. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to get it together. At least Westbrook has tasted this, the success over the years. And moving forward, maybe it's bleak, but he has some better guys to work with, I think, than Anthony Davis still does at this point. So uh, I'm definitely going Davis. RIP, man. I feel so yeah. bad for you. So the first thing Anthony Davis did when he saw that Tim Frazier was his starting point guard on opening night was he did challenge his What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? That had to be his his exact reaction. The only reason why I might say Russell Westbrook, I feel more bad for Westbrook than Davis is only because at least Davis has the hope that, like, the troops are still coming. You have Drew Holiday obviously out with, with his wife's, you know, circumstances, her having brain surgery and things like that. Um, so it's not like – another thing is it's not like he's injured, so you're going to have a healthy Drew Holiday coming back. Um, you have Tyreek Evans, and I know this sounds like just replaying, like, the last three years of Anthony Davis's life. Oh, you got Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans coming back. But, you know, you got Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans coming back, two quality players in the NBA. For Russ, this is just kind of the team. Yeah, I mean, what he what he has now, I mean, is Cameron Payne really that much of a difference? Am I going to be like, oh, wow, you know, let, let's just wait till Cameron Payne comes back before we judge this team fully? No. You know, this this is the crew, and this is who he's rolling with, and it, it just seems like it's not enough. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying the Russell Westbrook FU season. It, it's everything that I thought it was going to be. Uh, but both of these guys just got to be looking at their teams. Cannot play. play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. I mean, how how can you? It, it, it's just it, it's it's really tragic, and I think that there should be a way where we can just combine these rosters and just have them play just Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and the best five players. We'll give them a seven man rotation. I don't even care, and then they should just be able to go out and, and compete for a championship. Yo, Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis on the same team might be incredibly unfair. Um, you know, the thing I will say with Westbrook is it, it, why I feel worse for Davis because we know the guys you just listed that are coming back. I mean, Anthony Davis has got to be given that a what? What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> like, I mean, Tyree Evans is always coming back. And, you know, it's Drew Holiday. I, I still like him. And for some reason, I still have hope for him. And every time I play 2K against him, they talk him up a lot, like in the commentary, which is crazy. But 
I think with Westbrook, at least you're looking at like, oh, the depot just got here. Maybe he's going to come along and be my wing guy. He hasn't played extremely well, but he's new to the, the team, the system. And he's still got – Stephen Adams is, is such a young guy, and Cantor's not really very old either. So he does have some of these – at least his like – base pieces around him, these other guys that are supposed to be there to help him be able to win. At least he's got things to work with with these younger players. I just feel like for Anthony Davis, it's like disappointment. It's like, oh, Tyreek's coming back. Oh, great. You know, he's going to dribble the ball too much. He's going to take shots. And it, it just, it's, I just feel like that Pelican situation is utterly a disaster. Yeah, it, it really is. The, the Ashik trade is is quite possibly one of the worst trades, uh, I think, in, in – the last five years easily uh it just doesn't fit it didn't make any sense at the time nobody understood it and it still doesn't make sense um you know the Tyreek thing like Tyreek and Drew really don't work together you know as a pair really in the backcourt uh obviously they got rid of Eric Gordon who was another guy where Anthony Davis was like oh Eric Gordon's coming back eventually you know it, it's just it's really unfortunate that they're wasting a, a lot of his prime um I'm hoping yeah, Buddy Heald, he doesn't look that good either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. Buddy Heald, Andy, it, 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 he looks lost. I mean, and he's a rookie, so we're not going to give him too much slack. But it just looks like another, you know, right now, because of the, the way, like, Pelicans and Anthony Davis must be thinking, it just looks like, oh, here's another mistake with, with building around Anthony Davis again. Well, I watched Buddy Heald stand, and I hate to say it because this is my guy. Um, I can't even backtrack on him now, but I watched him stand, and I don't even know if he ran down to play defense because every time I looked at him on offense, the dude was standing in the same spot. He didn't move. I don't know. There's no coach in the NBA that says, hey, you just stand there. Like, I, like, I don't know what's going on, but he, he does. He looks lost, I think. And, you know, at least that's something that can get better. But, you know, when, when they brought some of these guys, the Tyreek Evans and the Drew Holiday stuff and the Eric Gordon stuff, to play with Anthony Davis, it all seemed – none of us at the time were like, oh, that's terrible, you know. Some of us were like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're bringing in some guys who can play basketball. And it just – Right. You know, every, everything backfired. It's like he should be playing for the, the Orlando Magic. It's just like these moves that don't make sense. And, you know, or they're, they do make sense, but they don't work, and it's just scary to see. And sometimes that happens. But, yeah, it, it, you can't help but think they're wasting this guy's prime like he plays for the Detroit Lions. Yeah. Do you do you want to spend thirty Do you want to spend thirty seconds talking about the Orlando Magic? Because I feel like you you might need some place to vent because it's it's not looking good so far. I mean, I thought they looked really good last night. Um, other than that, it's it's actually funny with the Rudy Gay comment I made at the beginning of the set. I was kind of convincing myself this morning that I thought Orlando needs like a Rudy Gay, like he's the perfect guy to mesh their roster oh boy. into like oh, into like there. an eight seed, but. No, I, I, I'm not to this point. I think they, they look a lot better against Cleveland, but the other two games were terrible. So we are going to move on to the end of the show. Every week, uh, like Jay-Z once said, we don't believe you. You need more people. And each week, somebody really matches that mold. Uh, Andy, who needed more people this week in the NBA? You know, I had two here, and it, it isn't necessarily from this week, but it was annoying me this week. And I love Chris Webber to death, but his commentary on the new 2K breaks my heart sometimes because if you're doing bad with your my player, he lets you know, and he sounds like a disappointed uncle or older brother or something, and it just broke my heart. And for that, Chris Webber, you need more people. I am going with the Philadelphia fans. I mean, listen, we're not even going to bring up Santa Claus. That's, that's dead. But you did worse. You disrespected our Lord and Savior, Russell Westbrook. And why did this guy think, this dude, I, for those of you that don't know, the dude that, you know, gave Russell Westbrook the middle finger. Like, in what scenario is Russell Westbrook just, like, 
looking in the crowd randomly and like, oh, that dude's fat. Like, how is that a plausible story as to why you gave him the middle? Like, he called me fat first. Like, Russell Westbrook's playing a game of NBA basketball. You think he's just looking in the in the stands for just a random dude to call fat? That doesn't make sense. Yo, you know, you need way more people because nobody is really believing that story. Apparently, Chris Webber, he he really hasn't scolded me yet. My my mind player must be on on point. So, like Daisy well, was like, "We don't believe you. You need more people." So that is the end of our show. Uh, before we go next week, we will be watching Andy Point Harden and the Rockets. I'm really excited. I got three players of of the Rockets on my fantasy team. I kind of wanted to do scouting and see why Ryan Anderson is, is suddenly uh, not a scorer anymore because, I don't know, that's all the dude used to be able to do. Uh, so what do you think about Point Harden and the Rockets so far? I think it's going to be fun. I actually haven't even caught a Rockets game yet, though I plan to early because of the, the Harden at the point guard thing. Um, should be great. I can't wait. Yeah, maybe Patrick Beverly will be back too. So that is the end of our show. Please join us next week as we continue our journey across the NBA. Follow the pack, podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash NLP pod. That's N like Nandi Asamoah, L like Layla Ali, P like pink with an exclamation point. But we will end as we always do with the great philosopher, Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.